This is Alan. This is Brandon. And welcome to D6 Minutes, the short Dice Over Everything podcast where we roll the dice and uh, talk about whatever topic for whatever we rolled. So let's get to it. All right. You want to go first? You feel like you've got a real exciting one here or a shell? Yeah, sure. I got one that I actually am quite interested on your thoughts about. All right. So uh, what is your most overvalued and undervalued fantasy race in miniature war game uh, collections? Like in just general ranges. This is two questions. Overvalued and undervalued. There's two. Fine. Oh, oh, no, no. We can see what we roll. We can see what we roll. All right. Three minutes. So what is the most undervalued? Most undervalued race? Just the most undervalued, because you're right, those are two questions. So what's the most undervalued fantasy race in terms of miniatures? So the one that you wish they did more of? I think Snake Men. Just going and looking at- Snake Men, wow, okay. Because often they'll model them as like Medusas or something with multiple arms or crazy hair. I'm just like, no, just give the people snake bodies. Because snake bodies have so much opportunity for painting. Yeah, and they look cool, though they're very different. Yeah, like there's so much different colors going on. You may need bigger bases because now it's not just two legs coming down being bipedal, bipedal. Yeah. But I, I do find it really annoying that the snake men are often lizard men yes. with snake heads. They're like, oh, yes, the snake. Yeah. There you go. No. They'll model them, but they'll have arms and then they'll go back to a snake head. It's like, no, just make them like a centaur, but it's a snake. Yes. I, and I think there, there's more coming. I, I guess people, there's definitely people that have, um, I guess a lot of people saw this kind of gap in the miniature community and they're releasing more. Okay. Do you, do you have any lines you can think of? I think I've actually saved a bunch of them that I thought I might buy at one point. Uh, so I actually just recently bought three snake men because, you know, in our, in our, the game that, that we're working on, we want snake men to be like one of the beast types. Right? We are considering them. I, I may have also yeah. bought something of that, that like, <laughs> but yes, you go first. The yeah, minutes. so the ones that I, I got for, I think they're bones, actually. I haven't actually opened them up. I just bought a bunch of them. Yeah. How, how, how do you? they size? Like, how big were their bodies compared to most normal ones? Because, like, normal units? Yeah, yeah. They're like roughly the bodies. same size. They're not giant. They, they look like snake men. Uh, okay. Why? Are the ones that you got see, seemed way too big? No, I've just seen some that seem too big, anyhow. Uh, okay, they're like the giant snake men as opposed to like the size of an ogre as opposed to a human. Yeah, they'll often do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nope. I okay. agree. Snake men were definitely undervalued. Uh, for me, I would say the. Now, this is going to be uh, somewhat. Can I take a guess at this first? Okay, sure. Go for it. The bird men. Did I get it? No. Damn. No. Now this is this is going to be controversial because some people are going to say actually this is too like overvalued, uh, but I think uh, uh, I feel like I, have, I guess I have two, so I'll just I'll just say the one that I wish there was um, more cool stuff for, for um, is dwarves. Well, I guess now they removed the Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah, so here's the thing. Yeah, dwarves, I feel like, are one of the essential uh, original Tolkien races, right? And yet, and in some, and yeah, there are still a lot of dwarves, but I feel like they just don't get the love they deserve, especially relative to elves, which I find really lame and boring. Especially Tolkien elves. I really oh, yeah, don't elves, like Tolkien elves. elves. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and I I do wish that dwarves would be more like. Basically, when I think of a dwarf, I think of a more human-like orangutan, right? They okay. should, because the, I just want dwarves with who are basically bricks, right? Like four-foot bricks with arms, like arms as like tree trunks, right? And that's what I want, like a whole bunch more dwarves like that. And obviously giant, lots of hair, right? Facial hair. But I feel like they just don't get enough love and they get a lot of love relative to what, other things. That's why I said it's controversial. But I think they deserve more. And the more that, um, the older I get, the more I think that they're cool. <laughs> and I just like want a lot of really cool looking dwarves. And they look yeah. to the doors okay, that we see well, a lot of the time are just wimpy. So, but too hobbit like. Yeah, I could agree. Yep. Yep. Okay, Which was my well, other that's... one, hobbits. All right. Okay. So, next topic. All right. So, all right. We didn't get much time for that. So, we didn't go over under. Maybe another time we'll go over. Yeah. Or we'll undervalue. Over, don't or, worry. Overvalue. Whatever. All right. So, on the note of assembling and painting things, I think we've talked about this outside of these quick podcasts but when would you suggest or approach painting a miniature by painting the thing in parts as opposed to assembling the whole thing and then painting the mini okay criteria it's a six. Holy shit okay All right, well, it, it's going to be mostly you because uh for me i don't know if I mentioned always this before, but... the whole thing I always assemble the whole thing. Um, I basically mm -hmm. almost never uh, paint them in parts. Um, the only one that I would consider is if it's vehicles and they have interiors. All right, so it's almost like a building. You're like, I got to paint the inside of this building so I can't yep. put the roof on it. Yep, exactly. Right. Otherwise, I generally, I wouldn't want to do it if it's, if, if you're painting the insides or the innards, then yeah, otherwise I just do the entire thing. Even with mouths, of, of creatures where you have to kind of reach inside to paint it. Um, I generally just assemble it. It's too much a pain in the ass. So I would say for things like mouths, I would actually assemble it to paint inside because part of the problem of assembling after is that when you put the thing together, it's got a joint to it. Uh -huh. And for the joint to match up on organic shapes, it's really tough. Mm -hmm. And it, you're going to see that line there. So it's probably not worth the effort that if you're going to, sure, you can do a better job painting inside the mouth if you don't put the mouth on. But when you put it on after, you've now decreased the quality of the miniature by having this freaking giant line down the side of his face. So yep. I would go with... You're going to have to green stuff that afterwards. Yeah, so I would go <laughs> with, with gap yeah. in that All situation. Right. Like you were talking about for vehicles, like some vehicles get to be so damn big or mm -hmm. some just miniatures themselves are so big that if holding them is an issue... Maybe uh -huh. you've got to uh -huh. paint the thing in parts. Like for vehicles, they don't suffer from that problem of uh -huh. having like natural joints to fit together. It, uh -huh. like it literally was all put together. So if it's got a line through it, you're like, oh, okay, this is natural. So on a vehicle that might be hold hard to like hold the whole thing at once to get to all the sides. Yeah, uh -huh. sure. Maybe you assemble that thing afterwards, like your, your walkers uh -huh. or your Titans in 40K or even yep. your one pound spider tank in infinity uh-huh holding a whole pound in one hand might be too annoying so you paint it in parts you painted your 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 spider tank in parts yep just because oh. of its sheer weight <laughs> i think you're having <laughs> to hold fair. this thing for like an hour at a yeah. time uh -huh. and it weighs a full pound 
maybe uh, you don't do that yeah yeah that's fair that's fair it could start working so working your wrist and stuff yeah mm-hmm. maybe you just got to work out to be able to paint that do you even lift bro doesn't matter i love paintbrushes <laughs> good enough anyways the other situation of where it does start to get worth it is when they've got like a weapon or something in front of their whole body and you're just not going to be able to get your brush past it uh-huh. in that case then i will like paint the thing in parts and then have to touch up that joint yeah to me there's definitely some sort of green stuff step that you're gonna have to do you're gonna touch up your paint jobs and at the same time like how do you even tell the how you want the light to 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 fall you're basically kind of guessing when you're when you're initially painting it right yeah so you may have to paint like the weapon afterwards like if you've got really shiny parts uh-huh. They're going to be reflecting after you put the piece on. Maybe you just paint that part afterwards and you paint the body first. Mm-hmm. And then whatever needs reflections and good lighting, you're like, okay, I'll just paint that after I attach it to the body. So here's my question. When you do these kind of things, right? So, so me, like if you do an indoor interior, right? Basically you can understand the lighting because it's, it's generally basically a different diorama, right? Your lighting is separate inside a vehicle. You, you know where it is. You can kind of paint it to that to that kind of lighting right whereas when you're painting something like a blocked from uh some sort of weapon or, or some something in front how do you like soft soft fit them and then paint them with the idea that whatever's in front of them is going to be there and you just kind of imagine it what, what? or are you going to paint your your like let's say you have um let's say like a space marine right they will often have the bolter right in front of their their imperial eagle on their their chest armor, right? Yep. If you paint a perfectly highlighted and detailed chest armor as if the bolter was not on the front, it's going to look weird when you put the bolter on top, right? Because you know, like the wit that the the art of miniature painting is is hyper accentuating the model, but with the shadow of the bolter that's on front, your your hyper accentuated imperial eagle looks weird. Yep. So in that case, you're like, you don't care what's, if it's hiding it enough, you don't care what's behind it. It's just when it's still generally like, paint it like, like, um, so you do paint it like fully. It's not like you painted them more in flat colors or whatever. You're literally doing all the highlights and details that you're just guessing basically before you put the, the top on. And then if it looks weird, then you just touch it up afterwards. It's usually when it's not too close to the body, but it sticks out a ways. So it's going to keep hitting your brush as you try and get through it. It's not when the bristle won't fit through. If the bristle won't even fit through, you can kind of ignore it, which I do. It's when okay. it, it affects your angle of getting at the miniature. And there's details back there you need okay. to get. There's no details back there and they're just wearing a cloak. You're like, whatever, I'll take okay. care of it. But if there's like real serious detail behind there, then you, that's also a factor. I All feel right. like well, a lot of these places, uh, you just need to paint general flat colors. And you don't actually have to highlight it that much. Like I think one of the biggest things actually is is the base. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes you have the base, and then you have things behind the base. But all you really need to do is have a general flat color because the things behind that would be blocked in these kind of ways shouldn't be getting that much light in 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 any case. Yeah, if it's blocked by something big, I'm usually thinking yeah. more just like some crazy sword or a whip. It's just uh, in your way of the brush, but not in the way visually. It's so I don't fine. Do you just don't paint it that well. And then when the whip inevitably breaks off, you can just paint it more easily. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, there's six minutes on 
on just don't do it that often. It's got to be one of the weird situations. All right. Do you have another one? Yeah, I do. For is it interesting? For I got my last two are just only mediocre. So this one's mediocre, but I'll go for it before I forget it. Okay, let's do it. We were talking about a lot of rule books you've bought lately. Yep. Too many. And, and how just it's not too difficult to make them look cool, but some rule books can look really, really good. And a lot of that is the art. So the question is what percent of the pages do you think ought to just be art pieces in a printed rule book? Factoring Ooh. in that we now can just digitally download things and not care what they look like. Okay. Four minutes. So right, I think. Um, I do think that, um, you want at least some piece of art, like on, an, on, on the high quality stuff, probably at least every two, if not three pages. Now it doesn't have to be like, you don't want full page art, right? Otherwise, right on, on, on all those things, but some sort of art, some sort of visually striking piece. And sometimes it can like, you know, it can be just a, a cool insignia or logo, or it can just be, it can even be, and it's not exactly art, but a cool chart, but you need something that pops on every like two pages, basically every, every page spread. There's something. So you think even pictures of miniatures qualify? Yes. Okay. As what I'm saying, something visually interesting. And, and like I said, it does, I said it could even be a cool chart. Okay. Now maybe it's because I'm a big nerd and I'm like, Oh, a chart and everything. Right. And a flow chart. Mm -hmm. Wow. Awesome. But uh, that to me is the kind of thing, right? You want something visually striking to, you to draw you in. That's all that really yeah, matters. Break the text up. Uh, no, I think it, you want something that visually is exciting. Mm -hmm. That's okay. why I said the chart. Maybe that's just me because I find charts interesting. Okay. But like percentage of, of, I don't know, a planet that is uh, military space Marines versus scouts versus uh, general civilian population versus agriculture. A chart that shows that would be really cool to me. And yeah, that could be a suffice for a piece. Okay. Cause I was just thinking of the Oathmark rule book mm -hmm. that you just bought where every maybe one in five pages is just like full, a full original page. art. Oh, that's beautiful. It really oh, helped me. Beautiful really like rule book. And yeah. I think it would encourage you to buy the rule book, which I think we talked about before, where I bought the infinity rule books. Cause I'm like, Oh, you don't need to buy them. I'm probably never going to bring them to a game, mm -hmm. but it looks really cool. Yeah. So I will buy the and, book. And I love the fact that the infinity, um, the infinity, like main edition rule books uh, or, or, or major expansions are literally split into two books where one book is, basically an art art and uh, fluff like art and storybook mm -hmm. and then one is the um one is is the rule book right which and means, i love that kind of split which means that even when you change to a new edition mm -hmm. uh it doesn't matter as much you just because you just throw out the, the the rule book that that's of the old rules that no one uses and then you keep the uh the uh the the, the art slash storybook yeah, that's totally a way to do it. Unless you want to sell a lot of books like GW, in which case you you literally never print a cool art book or almost never print a cool art book for your faction so that if they want the new cool art and stuff like that or new rules, they have to pay for... Like if you only want the rules, you still have to pay for like oftentimes recycled art and story, which is 50% of the book. 
Yeah, because most books don't have too, too much story. I mean, Infinity and 40K are really nice in the way that they actually have a lot of background yeah. to them. So you yep. can you can have a lot of pages where you separate the the fluff from the rest of it and then throw all the art in with like the visual elements in with the story you're talking about. Mm -hmm. In most rule books, they just put the art in to break up the rules because there's not as much background. Yeah, I got to say, I think that 20% though for me was like, oh my God, this is a lot of art. I don't, I don't know if I need this much art, but as I said, like that's what made me buy the Infinity book. Yeah. It was the level of art. So, yeah. Um, and one thing, it's like such a small thing, but in the, I was mentioning the Frostgrave rule book for first edition versus second edition. In general, the uh, Frostgrave second edition has like better um, art direction, like uh, you call it, it's, it's more uh, in terms of the graphic design, I guess it's in general better, but there was one thing that I really liked in the old Frostgrave book that they had was that there was a little picture of of a wizard on every page or every is it every two pages or every page just a little like silhouette just a black, just a black and white just a black and white silhouette and it repeated there's like there's 10 wizards so it just basically repeats the 10 wizards like throughout the entire book right yeah. but just having that visual picture on every single page made really interesting especially as you flip through and you're like oh yeah this is the chronomancer this is the 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 necromancer this is the yeah the sigilist it was really really cool whereas in the new book it it just doesn't have that right it's just a normal kind of layout with a cool uh, a very cool um side paneling art mm -hmm. but it's the same on every single page so it's it, it, after the first couple of pages you kind of get desensitized to it right as yeah. opposed to it having some sort of visual pop every single time yeah, it doesn't. The old one felt more like some sort of hand copied manuscript where someone was like doing illustrations on it. Whereas the new one's more like a just machine printed thing. The side, yeah, because the, it was repeating the side panels. Actually, the, the side paneling on the Frostgrave 2 is beautiful, right? It's beautiful art. And actually, it's more reminiscent to, like, like you would say, the old hand carved books as opposed to the old frostgrave book mm -hmm. but the fact that it was repeated is what makes it feel like printed right it's that it's not different on every single page if even if they had like three or four different uh borders just to make it kind of uh, interesting would would probably break it up enough that it would feel more like you said more uh hand copied as opposed to printed yeah i guess it depends it depends on the the type of game you're talking about anyways sure. that's that's that topic of how much visual you want yeah yeah, actually, I guess borders are really, really important. Mm -hmm. All right, so that was our um, that was yeah, D six. Yeah, that's D six minutes. We're short, quick, and I think we we're mostly on time for this. I feel like you're you're really reining us in from blabbering on way too long on these topics. So I write things down. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, you got to make sure. Do you do you time it vaguely. Like, no. Oh, okay. No, well, no you got to make sure you don't go under, right? Because if you do it on like the minute, mm -hmm. like on the 55 second of the minute, I was actually going to start using a stopwatch, but close enough. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you have um, any kind of topics, any D6 minutes you want us to talk about, answer questions, uh, anything uh, that you want to get out there, come and uh, find us on uh, Dice or Everything group on Facebook. Uh, you can uh, find us on our uh, 
website uh, just to see what we're doing on diceofeverything.com or you can contact us at contact at diceofeverything.com. So that's email. Uh, that's basically it. Yeah, stay in touch. Bye.